Okay, Lindsay and Winslow, thank you so much for coming on um, today on Lime 360. I just finished watching the movie and um, I was like in tears last night because, you know, as you know, it's just, it's just so emotional, like what we've all gone through and I'm not even a crier and I was just, um, I'm actually just actually in a really bad place personally, just with my Lime and feeling like crap and just exhausted and tired of it all. Um, so watching is it Julia, the, the girl, the teenager, is that her name? Mm -hmm. um, it's just really moving. And uh, so thank you for, for doing that movie. I know it was a long time in the making. So thank you for coming on. It was excellent. Um, and it's coming out, what, December 1st for the masses, but there are screenings around. So if you go on your website, they're there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So like, as far as like, I love, let's start with like, how you guys met. I love the letter. I have a copy of the letter that you guys sent me that, um, so maybe you could talk about like how this came about and, and the letter. <laughs> yeah. So in 2015, my health completely collapsed. It was, you know, years leading up to that moment of confusion and in denial, I would say, I think on some level I knew it was Lyme. My mom was telling me it was Lyme, but I just didn't want to, I didn't know where to start or how to go down that path. And, and so eventually I was dragged down it, <laughs> kicking and screaming, I wound up at this Lyme specialist office in upstate New York. I had had to move home back or back home with my mom. I was sleeping on her couch, left my whole world behind, was like, wow, now what, what do I do? And at the first appointment with a, with a Lyme specialist, the nurse practitioner, she said, uh, do you have a purpose? How are you going to get through this? We find that uh, patients who have a purpose tend to have better outcomes. Hmm. And I'd been thinking about making a documentary for years at that point, but I couldn't find anyone to do it with me. About no Lyme or about what? Anything. It. About Lyme. Oh, because your mom because of my mom. Right. That's what's so funny. I'm like, Oh, I wanted to make it because of my mom, but I was completely in denial of the fact that I myself was going downhill and had Lyme the entire time that she was sick. Mm -hmm. So eventually it became, you know, a film because of my mom and because of me and just wanting to understand what was going on and why. And, but yeah, no one at that time I was, I was 26. And so all of my peers, they weren't, they weren't sick and they didn't want to look into a disease, not as closely as making a documentary would ask you to, you know, no one wanted to touch it. So uh, when the nurse asked that question, I was like, okay, it felt like the only thing to do it was like, it must be done. It's time. It's I've reached, I, I've been cornered by this thing. It's got, it's got to happen. So I told her, I said, I'm going to make a documentary about Lyme. And it seemed really far-fetched, but on some level, I just knew it was going to happen because it had to. And, and she looked very excited and she said, wow, we have another patient here who's your age and he has Lyme and he's a documentary filmmaker. Do you want me to connect the two of you? And she like pulled out her little pad of paper and <laughs> I could like awesome. hardly hold a but Lindsay, Were you already in um, the, like, the entertainment industry, like about film or was this totally out, out of the field? I was working in narrative filmmaking at that time. So I was working with actors and scripts and, you know, and I worked with cameras as a videographer and a photographer, but I'd never made a documentary, but this just begged 
for Lyme disease just begged for a documentary. You know, it, it, it was, it was so obvious. So yeah, I'm glad that she connected the dots and thought to connect Winslow and I, because she, she handed him the note the next day at his doctor's appointment. Oh my gosh. So it's good that it was so close. And then Winslow, you got the yeah. note and you were like, okay, let me call Lindsay. <laughs> I was like, I, you know, here we go. I guess, I guess why not? Um, you know, she said, I think she said in her note, let's make a documentary, not, not, do you want to? Um, <laughs> and it just happened from there. And so, yeah, I remember I, I sent her an email and then we jumped on the phone and, you know, I think for us, you know, being, um, getting Lyme is just so disorienting, you know, that, that first sort of, um, run through all of the doctor's offices. And, you know, I had been, that was one of my last appointments. That was one of Lindsay's first, but before that I had been through six months of the sort of Western medicine carousel of being fat passed from specialist to specialist to specialist until I ended up at this Lyme doctor's office. And, you know, I think when I first walked in there, um, I didn't, well, I didn't even know that they treated Lyme. I thought they were like a integrative cancer clinic, um, mm. but they just spent more time with you. And so my mom was like, why don't you go, why don't you go see these people who actually like sit with you for an hour instead of 15 minutes. Um, and so that's how it all began. And at my first appointment, they handed me a, a sheet that said, here's why Lyme disease is so controversial. Um, funny that they do that. I've never had anybody. Yeah. And that, that, that to me was just, you know, I, you know, that was such sort of a twilight zone moment of, <laughs> you're like, what is this? What's happening? Um, and they immediately wanted me to go on antibiotics and I refused because I didn't, I didn't know that Lyme could be that bad. It was my, my first initial impression because I had heard of Lyme disease. I grew up in upstate New York and I thought that this, there's no way that this is what, what's going on. And um, finally all the tests came back negative and I've been tested for everything else. And I, I figured, you know, um, this is the only option that I've been given from all of the people that I've seen. So let's try it. And, um, luckily it was, it was a way out, you know, obviously a slow mm -hmm. journey, like it is for all of us. Um, but it, it was definitely a, a way out. And so, um, we, I think when we first connected, we realized how disorienting this world was and also how hard it was to consistently explain to people why we were doing what we were doing um, treatment-wise uh, and why, the, why we had a disease that was so controversial and how we ended up in this world. And so our initial goal was, can this be a tool that people can show you know, to their loved ones, to their doctors, um, to whoever it is in their life that can say, hey, this is what I'm going through watch this and you'll understand yeah. why it's so hard. And so that was the impetus. And when Lindsay wrote me that note, I mean, I don't remember, I don't remember next steps of like formalizing anything. I just remember all of a sudden we were <laughs> sleeping on couches and dragging bags across the country. And um, Wait, yeah, my, my thing is, okay. So where were you at this point? You, Lindsay, you were in the beginning. So you obviously felt like crap, right? Cause you were in the beginning of the awful. process, but yeah, we were, were you, you were at the end. Did you feel better? I mean, I can't imagine no. trying to do a movie, not feeling like, well, <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. Um, <laughs> no, I was, I still felt terrible. I, but I was sort of towards the end of my treatment at that specific clinic. Um, mm -hmm. But it took a long while from there with other treatments to, to feel um, at a point where I, I feel much more functional now than I did then still part of my day to day life. But yeah, at that point, both of us, I mean, we were we were hardly up. <laughs> so. Where do you guys both think you are now in your process? Like if you were to give yourself a, a grade? <laughs> God, it's so hard to say because say. my doctor yeah. says basically, he's like, Lindsay, you don't remember what it feels like to feel well. No, you so don't. So he asks me 
I usually say right now, I would say maybe like 70%, 75%, but he's like, you know, he's like, you don't even remember what it feels like to be well or to have energy or, you know, and it's true. I think I've been running on adrenaline for many, many years, especially through the making of this film and just driven by the purpose, you know? So, but yeah, I mean, it's exhausting that making the film has been really cathartic on many levels. And it was an outlet for a lot of the emotions and the frustration and feeling uh, stagnant. You know, we were always in motion, if not physically, at least in terms of the investigation. I mean, we were constantly probing and and researching and trying to parse out like, what the hell is this? Like, what is going on here? And, and so it was, it was really helpful to have a mission. Um, but physically it's been very challenging and I don't know if making the film necessarily has been healthy physically. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, it's kind of like with, with this podcast, right? You know, it's like doing it, but it's just, it's, it's a lot, but I, it, it is a cathartic a little bit and kind of connect, keeps you connected with the, what people are going through. So you don't feel completely, um, isolated. So, so going back to the movie though, I, I, I was, how, how did you find like Julia, I know you had interviewed a lot of people and kind of went around the whole world looking for a patient. Like, how yeah. did you find her and decide she's the one and like have all that video footage, you know, like, did you have video footage on a lot of different patients and then just kind of tuned down? Like, I'd love to know that process. Yeah, we did, but Julia was number one. So um, Julia was blessed by Pope Francis in mm -hmm. like, what was that? Like September of 2015, I think. It was the summer. Um, it was the summer. Uh, summer, but yeah. So that was yeah. when it sort of really went viral. And so she was seen, you know, she, she became um, kind of this media sensation across the tri-state area. Um, and the doctor up in Albany, New York, um, that we were going to ended up seeing that footage and invited Julia and her father to come receive treatment for free. Um, mm -hmm. Because the whole, the whole staff was sort of so moved by that interview that she did with the Pope. Um, and at that point, they didn't know what they, they didn't really know what was going on. And so they started driving up to Albany from Brooklyn um, and they had a, a family place like sort of halfway in between. And so her, Julie and her father were living there alone and getting treatment in Albany. And um, that's how we met them. So right. that wasn't um, the doctor that was in the movie, though, was it? No, different doctor, different doctor. Um, but he got them started on, on that journey. And so um, yeah, we met them. I think the first thing that we filmed with them was December of 2015. Um, and they ended up at the clinic that we were at. Um, I remember telling Lindsay that the, the miracle girl is here. Um, and so they, at that point, they were doing a ton of, of news, but we wanted yeah. them to realize that what we were doing was different. And so we actually shot with them for a couple of days. And then I edited something together and I sent it to them and said, hey, this is kind of this is the style of what we're doing. And I think Enrico, to his credit, immediately realized the power of media in, in general, but also realized that what we were doing was different um, and more long form and, and longer term. And, and he was on board right away. Um, mm -hmm. And Julia was too. I think at that point she was, she was much younger, of course, and she was also so sick. So the beginning footage, I mean, she was, um, walk or she was really barely hanging on. Yeah. She couldn't walk, but I mean, even more than that, I think that's always been, you know, the, the, 
the walking is the obvious symptom, but she has no, so many like other, she's breathing and so many other breathing. issues. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, she's come a long way since then, which is incredible, but yeah, anyway, so we, we realized pretty quickly that, that their story was going to be incredible and they're just an amazing family. And, um, the whole, yeah, the whole family is incredible. And we became so close with them. And, you know, every time we're there, they feed us in a massive, she's lucky day. that she has such a great support system, you know, because yeah, a lot of people that don't have like her father, yeah. mom and her siblings that exactly i think it was i think it we didn't choose this for this reason obviously i mean we chose to film with her for all the reasons winslow just described but now in hindsight just like you said knowing how many people are abandoned by their families and and we actually heard a statistic recently from a woman who runs a lyme treatment foundation for children that the majority of her grant recipients are abandoned by their fathers. Uh-huh. Mm. And so it's really kind of wild that and uncanny that we wound up filming with a family where in this particular situation, because of Julia's mom's job and, and her dad's job, it just became, he became the, the full-time caregiver. And so I think, I really hope that as patients and also caregivers and families start to watch the quiet epidemic that they there might be an opportunity to reconcile I hope for people to acknowledge oh wow I I could have shown up more than I did I could have shown up differently you know because Julia and her family yeah yeah the disease exists exactly look there's you are sick you're not just making it up (laughs) yeah the antibiotics actually don't work the test isn't accurate you're not faking it all of it but but yeah i think that their family is is great and 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 julia she's been at some of our film festival screenings which has been really amazing and she comes up for q and a's after the screenings and and she's been sharing recently about that process for herself of deciding whether or not she was going to allow herself to be filmed by us. Mm-hmm. And ultimately what she decided is what we also decided. And I'm sure you too, and so many people, it's like, this has happened to me and, and it's awful. And if I can share my story and, and it can help others, then maybe on some level I can, we can make it worth it. If it means sparing others, the same fate. And so for Julia to have gone through that process at age 12 (laughs) is pretty incredible. And, and I hope that that inspires more people to also think like, how can I, how can I use my experience to benefit others? No, it's true. Because I think when I first got sick, I was like, oh, I just want this to go away as quickly as possible. I don't want to talk about it. Like you don't want to give energy and light to something because then it it gives it legs. And I'm like, I just don't want to give it more attention than it deserves. But then when I realized like, I got better and then I relapsed and then I was like the second time around, I was like, okay, I, I need to just like embrace this and make it something. I don't want to say it's a part of my life and my identity, but like share as I'm going along, like as I'm learning, as I'm like, I feel like I'm doing so much research that's just for me. Like, shouldn't I be re- like learning and sharing and, and kind of meeting people along the way. And so it's kind of the same, same way with yours. Okay. So going back to the movie again, I, when I first, um, I remember when I read one of the first line books I read was gone in a heartbeat. And I was in tears reading that because at that point I was going through the same thing. I was going through the emergency room 
thinking I was having heart attacks, thinking, and everyone's telling me it's in the head, telling me to go see a psychiatrist. And after I read the book that Dr. Neil Spector wrote, I was like, that was the first time I was ever felt validated um, yeah. of what I was experiencing wasn't in my head. And, and I had, that was right when I also started my podcast. So I had reached out to him and he responded right away. And he was like, Hey, I'd love to be on your podcast. I'm in the hospital right now, not feeling great, but as soon as I get out, I'm, I'll definitely come on your podcast. And unfortunately, oh, wow. as we know, he, he didn't make it out and he passed. And I remember like getting that email, like literally like a week before he passed. And I'm like, oh my God, this guy was so sick that he actually emailed me back saying that he would still be on my podcast. I'm like, this guy is unbelievable. And, and so when I was watching your movie and he came up and he's a big part of your movie, I was like, oh my gosh, it was just so like the whole, all the worlds of everything was like, when I was watching it, it was just very emotional because I just felt like, ah, oh, they lost a giant too in that in that industry, you know? So I would love for you to talk about him and where where his, I know he got raised $2 million and stuff like that, but where where is he in his like three-year goal, even though he's passed? Like, is it going to ever happen? Like what he was dreaming of? Um. So I guess maybe I'll answer just the first the first part and just talk about him and then we can talk about his science. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, Neil was and is such a blessing. Uh, it's amazing to see the way that people outside of the Lyme community even are impacted by his story. I mean, just yesterday here at a screening in Georgia, at this, the SCAD film festival, people were coming up after asking that question, what's happening with his research? And, and, oh, I was so sad that he passed because I live in North Carolina and I wanted to go meet him. And, you know, he's just so inspiring. And we had no idea that we were filming the end of his life, obviously, or that would, we, we would be preserving his legacy and his, and his spirit. But, mm -hmm. but I'm so glad that we did because the, the industry and the Lyme community did lose a giant and a hero. I mean, he was one of the most incredible Lyme advocates because of his credentials. And, mm -hmm. and that's part of why we really wanted to film with him because how often do you have a Harvard trained physician who works at Duke, who loses his heart to Lyme and is willing to go out on a limb and, and risk his reputation to say, I believe these people, I don't think they're crazy. And, you know, Winslow and I have met so many people throughout the making of this, this film. And we know doctors who have treated for Lyme hundreds of MDs who would never acknowledge that publicly. They would, those MDs would never publicly acknowledge that they saw a Lyme literate doctor. So that's why Neil was just so incredible because he, he didn't care about his reputation more than he cared about helping others, validating them, researching the illness. And yeah, I mean, I, I think about him all the time. He was so excited for this mm -hmm. part of the process. He would always joke that he had his, uh, his, his suit ready for our, for the red carpet. <laughs> and it's just Aww. so, it's just, yeah, he's, he's always, he's very present. He's very present. And, and it's, and it's tough because usually at the end of screenings, the, the, theater says you know come back with like 10 minutes or 15 minutes to spare and we walk in and and we experience losing him 
over and over again watching the end of the movie and and on one hand it's awful but on the other hand too it just I definitely think that Winslow and I and Julia and you and so many other people are carrying the torch in in the wake of his loss and in the wake of the loss of so many people who never had a chance to to Mm -hmm. speak out and help others and spread the word and so so it's 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 awful and it's so sad and it's also um incredibly motivating and and one of his lines in the film it's funny i'm thinking of it now he talks about receiving his heart transplant and how that gift of life you know um makes him feel extra pressure to to make the most of the time he has you know so i think that like he knew he was kind of like on borrowed time you yes. know you think also when you have a transplant it's a different Exactly. And, and so I think that that's such an important message, not that we need to be sacrificing ourselves or running ourselves into the ground, even though I'm kind of doing that right now, it feels, um, you know, if you have a voice and you're still alive, I think we, I think we need to use it. Mm -hmm. And and I love that. I love that message of his. Yeah. Um, his science. Winslow, do you want to talk about his science? Um, yeah, well, you know, I think that one of the reasons that why we chose Neil, as Lindsay suggested, I mean, one was his credentials, right? Like, I think that they were, they just spoke for themselves. But I, we talked a lot about trying to find people that weren't just victims, but were fighting back in some way. And I think that both Julia and Neil were a model for how to um, how to show up in your respective fields. So Julia, of course, her, the family side of it and also her, her activism and, and starting to speak up for other people. Neil was a model of like how to, of how to be a scientist in my mind. You know, I think that he embodied what science should be, which is compassion and curiosity. And, um, and then of course, like intellectual rigor and like the ability to go figure these things out, you know? And he always talked about what was really going to change. This was bringing people in from the outside who didn't have any baggage attached to all of this controversy, who could look at it in this new way and say, Hey, this is just what we're seeing, you know? And so I think Neil was as open to chronic Lyme, not existing as it, as, as he was to it existing. Like he just wanted to help people, you know? And so whatever the answer was that came from his research, that was what he was going to put out in the world. Um, and that, that answer was going to be geared towards helping people who were sick. Um, and that was what was so beautiful about his work. Um, he, you know, I think he was the real cheerleader of that team. Um, and so his loss was, was huge because he was, he was the big vision guy, you know? And so, um, I think that was really difficult, but Neil brought on people that were incredible scientists um, that had more pedigree than he did even. And I think that's what, you know, he, he knew that he wanted to bring the best people together. And so from a scientific perspective, they're, they're, they're totally fine. You know, they're, they're, they're still working on it. They have all the tools that they need. Um, and they have Neil's, you know, spirit pushing them forward. And so, um, there's definite challenges just from the, the controversy side and, and the funding and resources side, there's now, no NIH funding for this type of work, um, mm-hmm. which really needs to change. Um, and then there's also what Neil always would talk about is how do you get a therapeutic and a diagnostic on the market for a disease that in the eyes of the FDA doesn't exist. And so that is going to be a real challenge as well that they haven't, they haven't really gotten there yet, but 
Um, yeah, the goal is to, is to be done with it by 2025. I think that last we checked in with them, that's still on track, but I imagine there's more hurdles to jump over, um, and whatnot, but, um, it could be really revolutionary if it, if it comes to the fore. And I think even, um, if it isn't immediately applicable, applicable to the patient experience, I think the things that they're discovering are hugely applicable to, to also furthering the science in general and helping us ask better questions about what's actually going on. Yeah. So to talk about like the quiet part of the quiet epidemic, like <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the untouchable part of the movie where, you know, you, you touched a little bit about why is it quiet? Why is this a quiet epidemic? And um, especially now living through COVID and having long haulers recognized, and that's been, you know, everyone talks about that, like no problem. And and so why, why is it okay for that, but not this, you know? Um, and, you know, you, you touch on a little bit because of the vaccine and having that, you know, it wasn't a successful vaccine. And so there's no way to monetize it. I mean, so you did touch on in the movie, but I'd be curious, like outside the movie, is it, is it just that? Is it because it's a bioweapon? Is it because there is no disease? And so therefore they don't want to claim it and, because then it's just like, you're running up the insurance company. Like you wonder what's really ultimately making it quiet, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think just on the COVID front, I would just add that, you know, long haulers actually wasn't accepted at first, you know, so if you look at the way in which this sort of unfolded with COVID, there was a lot of pushback at first that long haul was even even something that needed to be recognized. And then I think there was such a mass of people getting it all at once that they were forced to be like, okay, clearly something's going on here. So I think one of the issues with Lyme is that although we know this is huge, it's been, you know, one patient at a time coming to these doctor's offices with these symptoms that can look like so many different things. Um, and so that's why we really touch on in the film also, like this is a s systemic issue within the medical industry, right? Like we have a for-profit healthcare system that doesn't have time for complexity. Um, and I think that, you know, Neil talked about that all the time, right? How are you supposed to diagnose something and treat something that's so complex and affects people in so many different ways in 15 minutes, right? So you, you just don't have the time. And so I think although this is a, there, there are some people who have been part of the problem and we name those people in the film that have really held back research. It's really a systemic issue about the way in which we do healthcare in this country. And there's real questions about our ability to even treat complexity in that way. I think that hopefully long haul COVID in that sense is somewhat transforming our view of medicine in that we're recognizing that one disease can cause different Ill issues in different people, right? And so it's not so cut and dry as one disease, one problem, one cure, which is how medicine has really viewed um, infectious disease for a really long time. And so by broadening that scope of what a disease can do, I think that's gonna help chronic illness in general, uh, because I think what we're realizing is that there's overlap with all of these things. And so we still need a better definition of what's actually happening with chronic Lyme disease patients. Of course, there's the question of persistence, but then there's also what's happening to the immune system. It's what are the long, longer lasting effects. And so COVID is having very much that same conversation. And I do think that that's a huge win for the, just the chronic illness community in general that will hopefully start to open some of these things up. But as far as Lyme being controversial, I mean, Lindsay, you can, you can jump into some of that, but it's a whole, it's a whole host of issues. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we could talk for hours about just that. I will say that we discovered a lot of information that we didn't put into the film. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it, it personally weighs on me to be carrying that around. Um, there are other journalists and writers and hopefully filmmakers who will 
who will dive into those parts of, of the investigation. Um, but because of the, you ran out of time or you just don't want to touch it. I think it's not that we, I mean, it is that we had to make a film that was, you know, an hour and 40 minutes Mm -hmm. max. Um, and there's just so much, and we had to decide what is the general public ready for, Yeah, you know, we didn't make the film for the Lyme community. We made it for the Lyme community in the sense that we want to provide validation and we want research and we want everything. We want all, you don't want to make it too controversial right off the bat. Exactly. We don't want to make, to make it too controversial or too complicated that somebody in the general public who might even be a skeptic, who might be a doctor, who might be a scientist would watch it and be, you know, you know, honestly, just too triggered. (laughs) I know that that's like a hot button word right now, but like too triggered to even consider any of it. Right. So we had to think very strategically (laughs) about what we were going to present and how we were going to present it so that we could like really start to just penetrate this block, this massive block. Um, Personally, I do wonder about the role of overlapping infections. And I do wonder if these early experts have known all along that it's been more than just Lyme disease, but it's not very suitable for products to acknowledge overlapping infections. You want to just isolate something. You want to isolate Borrelia burgdorferi and say it's Borrelia burgdorferi and here's a test and here's a vaccine. And, you know, and there we have it. And I think if we acknowledge the fact that going back to the very beginning, patients were probably infected with multiple tick-borne pathogens, then that would be really hard, a very hard problem to uh, not just solve, but in their eyes, in this for-profit healthcare model to market as well. How do you create a treatment for 19 tick-borne diseases? How do you create a vaccine? I mean, hopefully there's the, there's a discussion around a, a tick, an anti-tick vaccine that would protect against all pathogens. That would be great if it was, you know, safe and effective. Uh, but it's just a hard problem. And, you know, and I do wonder if it's related to biowarfare personally, I, I do wonder with Chris Newby's research coming out, I do wonder if there are other pathogens that we might even, we should be even more concerned by on some levels that just aren't getting the same attention because Lyme was the, was the, that was the chosen one mm-hmm. of the mix. Um, but yeah, that just wasn't our story to tell. I think, um, so many layers there and it's like, do you go down that rabbit hole? Right. Yeah. It's a huge rabbit hole. And the, the truth is, rabbit hole. <laughs> it's, 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 it's maddening and it's, it's terrifying. And I don't think the general public is ready for that. And, uh, Willie left his archives to Chris newbie, I know. you know, I and like her as well. And she has, yeah, she <laughs> she's got a lot of stories and I know she's going to keep writing and telling that at some point. Exactly. But... exactly. And I hope that, I hope that our film can sort of tee up people to maybe consider more deeper truths, you know, or possibilities, uh, more, more, more scary possibilities. I think reckoning with them is really important though. Yeah. You know, reckoning but, with the reality might mean that we can actually solve it. Yeah. I mean, it won't be solved until like those three gentlemen that you talked about that are in the government, are they even still there? They're still there. Yeah, They're still I mean, they don't have the same positions of, 
power as they as they used to, but they are still influential. They're still influential. Yeah, I mean, I mean, is it? I, I assume it's probably. I, I found your movie very like applicable to what's going on in the world right now with everything. Um, it's kind of like they're they're being like what what's there? Like why are they not talking? Why are they not even open to listening? Because I've sat in those working like Lyme groups, like online, you know, like the, the work, what do they call it? The working tick group. I don't even yeah. think that. <laughs> and, and, and like, literally you're sitting there and you have all these people that are sick and they're sitting there being like, it doesn't exist. Like after two hours, I'm like, oh my God. And this is the guy who's running the working, like, why would you join a working tick group, like working group? And you're not even believing that it like exists. I'm like, this is crazy, crazy town. It is. Yeah, I think it's strong. Yeah. Do you think they're like financially? Like, do they been told not to? Do you think they are financially? I mean, I know we're totally, you know, guessing (laughs) unless you know something else. But, but in general, like, you wonder, like, is it the government has told them you're not allowed to say anything, or is it like they have a financial interest not to say something, or you know, like you just you wonder where why why you know? Yeah. We get. I mean, it's really hard to track down. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of patents that exist online and that, that is open to the public to, to search. And so there's, a, there's, of course, numbers of patents that these people have um, their names on and some CDC officials even have their names on, which is uh, definitely a conflict of interest. Um, you know, none of that is illegal. That's the way I think. And I think that's something that we point out in the film, right? This is the way that mm. modern medicine and modern science works. And it's about money and it's about um, a competition for money, you know? And so I think that one of the big things that's happening right now is that, um, you know, those people that have defined this as that have, have created such a small definition of what Lyme disease is. And I think it's important to recognize that, that they've created this small definition that this is not wrong, that right? Lyme disease is this, but it's also, it's also wider than that, right? And I think that if you look at the early research, it was wide and then they got smaller and smaller and smaller. And some of that was understandable when trying to define a disease, but a lot of it, you know, I think happened when they, um, we're trying to create the vaccine and whether that was, you know, who knows what the process of, of thinking there was. I think it was mainly that in order to test a vaccine, you have to have a definition for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to have a really, you know, um, you have to have a set of symptoms that are very clear so that you can see what the vaccine is like, if there's any side effects. Right. And so, mm-hmm. and you also have a, have a test that's really clear um, so that you have a standardized test and that's how the test became so messed up with when they took those bands off of the vax, uh, mm-hmm. off of the test for the vaccine. So the film goes into that whole thing, which is which is a lot, I know. But um, so you see the ways in which in which all of that started to become um, so the thinking became so siloed around um, these these two things, the test and the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those people are still in power and they receive all the money for from the NIH for Lyme disease research, you know? And so if they were to come out and say, hey, we were, we were wrong from the start, um, or this was, this was too narrow of a definition, a lot of that funding would probably go away. And so I think just from a scientific perspective, even in the way in which science works, I mean, there's so little funding for any of this research that there's a scramble to be the one getting that money. And so so um, I think that 
also the war has become so nasty between these two sides that so much of the science has become how do we prove each other wrong instead of how do we further the research you know and i think that's why neil was so incredible because he was saying let's take a blank slate and just figure out what's going on you know there's a lot of science that has come out that has come out in top journals where they're basically the the whole takeaway is see chronic lyme disease doesn't exist and what they come back with is actually data that shows that these people are still sick in these various ways. I mean, they, in their antibiotic trials that they ran to show that chronic Lyme wasn't a problem and that long-term antibiotic therapy didn't work. They compared chronic Lyme disease patients to people with congestive heart failure. And yet the response from that wasn't, oh, these people have something comparative to congestive heart failure. Let's see what's going on. It was, hey, look, long-term antibiotics don't work. The people who use it are quacks, right? And so mm -hmm. that again is, that's, that's, a, that's a frame for a scientific question that completely lacks compassion and is, and is just based on um, trying to emerge from this controversy unscathed um, without having to admit that you're wrong, you know? And so I think that at the very least, um, you can point to that and say that it's wrong, you know? Beyond, mm -hmm. all, of, beyond all of the other questions around profit motive, et cetera, like, the, the science itself has been skewed by the nature of the controversy. And so, you know, I think the film goes into all of that, but the main thing that we wanted to be the takeaway for the, because again, this was for the general public is just that this needs to be reassessed with an open mind as to let's figure out what's actually happening to patients so we can help people get better. Mm -hmm. And from that you have, um, you want there to be takeaways. So you can mm -hmm. talk about like what people can do to like to help, you know, yeah. to you go to your website and what are you expecting people to do to help to try to move this, move the needle? Yeah. So I guess, you know, the first thing would be, yeah, go to our website, thequietepidemic.com, sign up for our newsletter. That's going to be most important, just as important as social media as the newsletter, because we can share more information there and more consistently. And it's, I think it's just easier <laughs> for folks to open an email versus having to scroll through a million posts to try to find the relevant information. Um, we have calls to action already. We're working with an impact producer and we have an impact team. We are going to be launching a 2023 community screening tour where anyone can host a screening around the world. We already have requests from four continents That's awesome. from people who haven't even seen the film. People from outside of the U.S. are so desperate. They haven't been able to watch the U.S. film festival screenings, which has been, you know, challenging for everyone because we want the film to get out as quickly as possible. But there are steps that we have to take to ensure that it has legs that can carry it for a long time and throwing it up on YouTube is not the way to do that. Um, but yeah. Oh, mine so, on Toronto film festival, they let you buy it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I got on this weekend. I Googled so, it and that's how I found it. Wow. I bought it. Um, oh wait, you bought our film. Yeah. That's how I saw it. That's how I was able to watch your film. The Toronto film festival. I think it was Toronto. Right. If not, I'll tell you which one it was. It, right, Twin Cities. Sorry, oh, Twin, Twin Cities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew it was something with a T. Twin Cities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's streaming virtually. There are a couple yeah. virtual streaming options coming up, but they're just for little windows of time and then it goes away. Um, but but yeah, so we, we hope that for the film to be on a streaming platform next year, hopefully by the middle of next year where anyone can watch it and... And, but, but beyond that, we really want to bring people together to actually be having conversations about this and not just watching the movie by themselves and then 
you know, feeling sad or angry or confused. We want to help channel people's energy and reactions to the film. So people who are hosting screenings can also host post-screening panel discussions where they actually create their own event around the screening of the film. They can invite policymakers, their local politicians. They can invite the press, doctors, you know, their child's teachers. You can host a screening literally anywhere. Um, it doesn't need to be in an actual theater. So that's one of the calls to action. And then the other one right now is a congressional letter writing campaign where with one click, all you have to do is put in your name and your zip code. And then you have the option of adding your personal story. We have a pre-written letter that will target your specific representative and essentially name some of the things that we just discussed during this, this call. But we're, we're really calling for Congress to exercise its power and oversee that the federal funding for Lyme disease is actually having measurable benefits for patients. Mm -hmm. Why is it that all of this federal funding has been going to the same handful of people for almost 50 years who have not improved diagnostics or therapeutics for patients? Does Congress even know that this is happening? Hopefully the film, we, we, we want to bring it to Congress. We want to actually get people to, to understand this problem. It's hard to communicate in a 20 minute meeting with a congressional staffer, mm -hmm. but a movie has the ability to reach the masses and also have a captive audience for, you know, an hour and 40 minutes to hopefully communicate something that, you know, haunts them <laughs> in, in a way that makes them feel something and care and recognize that this is a problem and that they as you know our representatives should have some responsibility for for you know mm -hmm. up. like we need help yeah there we are a couple right we had the one senator who passed away from uh what was she out of the woman Kay Hagan. yeah Kay Hagan yeah. um the one congressman from California I heard his kids have Lyme and then the congressman from New Jersey has been like kind of- Right, Chris Smith. Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of folks. I think what's tough is that there are a lot of people who are working. There is hope in the sense that there are a lot of people who care about this. A lot of them are personally impacted, whether they're scientists or doctors or policymakers, influential people, philanthropists, and then the masses. You know, there is a groundswell of energy and care that's coming up around this issue because it's just so huge but it's very scattered. And, you know, part of our hope yeah. in making this movie is that we can really focus this energy and whether it's for a month or, or even a day, whatever it is, a year, just really focus the energy, bring everybody under one tent and see if we can finally be heard and, and get people to step up and, and help solve this. This has been great. Thank you guys so much. Um, Congratulations to an amazing mm -hmm. film. I know it's a lot of work and it will be a lot of work rolling it out over the next, you know, six months or so, but, um, you know, good luck and congratulations and thank you for everything you guys have done. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> um, hold on.